0: Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, UphillAthlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum, where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. We've been very pleased and, of course, gratified that our podcasts are being received so enthusiastically. We've had requests to enable a way for listeners to have a conversation about episodes. We certainly welcome this idea and want to encourage those of you who do want to do that to do so on our forum so that the whole Uphill Athlete community can join in and benefit from this exchange. To do so, please start a new thread on the forum using the title of the podcast under the most appropriate category. Thanks for being part of this community. Welcome to another episode of the Uphill Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Johnston, co-founder of Uphill Athlete. And tonight I have a real treat. Um, I'm joined by Art Muir, and his coach, Seth Kina. And I, some of you might remember a podcast I did a year or so ago with Art. Um, and we were basically talking about how an older man can train or older person can train to do these big mountain events. And um, and it's interesting that that podcast is one of our most popular podcasts. You know, you're not a big name. Um, and we weren't talking about you know, aerobic <laughs> deficiency or those kinds of things. But yet, that is one of our most viewed or listened to podcasts, downloaded podcasts. So um, I think people will be interested in hearing what you have to say tonight. Uh, well, morning, your time. So you're here in Kathmandu. But um, I'll, as real brief background, Art just climbed Mount Everest. And as far as we know, and I think we have this on pretty good authority... Art is the third oldest person to have climbed uh, Mount Everest. And art I uh without I'm sure you're not gonna be embarrassed to tell us how old are you?
1: Um seventy-five. I was seventy-five on January 9th, so you know, 75 and say four months maybe yeah, roughly. I had a figured half, it out. Something like and that.
0: A half. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: close enough. Close enough. Good.
0: And <laughs> so I wanted to get um, I wanted to get a chance to Talk to Art be- while this was all still really fresh for him, and before he had to go, you know, g- goes home and re-enter society back in the U.S. Um, and he is um, basically uh, stuck in Kathmandu. The government has imposed yeah. some flight restrictions, and so he's not able to get out. And this gave us a great opportunity to to get together. But um, so that's the backstory of what's going on here. And I just want to say. You know congratulations art uh not just for the climb, I know the climb was you know the 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 uh <laughs> the pinnacle of you know it was the it was the end goal, but I think what you know Seth and I know is you did a hell of a lot of hard work to get here, and I think that will be that's the story that I think you know yeah the, the, yeah. the, the, the two or three days you climbed mount everest okay that's an interesting story but and I'm sure some very interesting things happen to you on it, but I think for most of our listeners, the two-year journey, two-plus-year journey, is really yeah. what uh, I think people will yeah. be interested in. So, thanks again yeah, thanks I, a lot I, for joining I, us.
1: <clears throat> well, and, uh, I'm I'm delighted to be here and have the opportunity to talk to you, catch up a little bit, Scott, and also um, share some thoughts about the work that Seth and I did together. You know, but but you you, you put your finger on it. Uh, as an experienced coach, you really put your finger on it. There's a lot of, it's surprising to me, but there's been a lot of press here about the, you know, the age factor. You know, here's this guy 75 who climbed Mount Everest. That seems to have elicited a lot of interest. For instance, we got to the airport and this is gaggle of reporters and I felt like, you know, that it's kind of the, the, the fake celebrity standing there talking to people with clicking cameras and all this sort of stuff. Um, but, that, and that, but that's just a coincidence. That's just uh, the sideline. I just happen, as you know, to come to this later in life. And for me, the, the thing is that, you know, it's so important. I told my kids this and I told my friends this. It's so important to have dreams in life and to pursue your dreams. You know, you may not achieve them, but to pursue them, you know, one step at a time. And there's a progression involved. Um, i worked with Uphill Athlete now for three years, Seth for two, you for one. And I worked really hard before that when I started doing climbing, but I didn't have quite the right coaching expertise. I mean, I worked with really good trainers, but they were more um, adapted and, and, and had more expertise dealing with things like uh, football players, for instance, elite college and NFL players. So I was working with really high-level people, but their emphasis was on... Um, sudden bursts of strength and continuing things with interludes, you know, the idea of putting huge force out. And as you know, mountaineering is completely different. And that's one of the wonderful things I think that you and Steve and coaches like um, Seth have helped redefine how people prepare for these climbs with long-term, strong aerobic bases. And we'll talk about that because I saw how that worked on my body. And uh, if it, works, <laughs> me, if it works for somebody my age. It works for everybody else too. Uh, we, we at this like, point, it's...
0: we like to say that nobody sprints up Mount Everest.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so that, yeah.
0: that you know, it's, it's very impressive to see athletes that are very powerful and can move very quickly uh, with a great deal of agility, and that's it's a wonderful quality, but it's not mountaineering. And, yeah, it's, and so that's, it's that's really a problem we have. We run
1: into often. It, yeah, it's really interesting. But let me just summarize for people who happen to be listening: just how successful we were. This was a very difficult year on Mount Everest, like two thousand and nineteen. There was no two thousand and twenty season because of COVID, but like two thousand and nineteen, there were a very limited number of window weather windows. Um, there were two early on about. Um, well, maybe the seventeenth of May, something like that. And some people <clears throat> who were ready, like Kent Cool, you may recognize him. He's a mm-hmm. he's a um, guide from uh, the UK, John Gupta, and others took up a few people, and they had a very successful um, one or two days there. I think maybe a hundred and some people got to the top. And then we, under the Madison Mountaineering, Garrett Madison is the guide that I used. Um, he and the other guides. And our star, Kerba, who's Nepalese, worked really hard watching the weather reports to try and get us into a position where we at least had a chance to summit. Typically, you know, you make three rotations on the mountain. And the last one, you go from base camp to camp two. You wait a night, you go to camp three. You wait a night, you go to camp four, and then you climb. We got to camp two. The weather closed in. We were above camp two in camp two and camp three. For something like ten days, I can't remember exactly oh. what it was because it kind of blurs together because the mm-hmm. window kept moving. There was the jet stream, which was one mm-hmm. consideration, oh, but me, there were also these.
0: Yeah, I mean, so how high are, are camp two and three? Just so people. Well, um,
1: camp 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 two is about twenty-one thousand. Camp three is about twenty-three thousand, and camp mm-hmm. um, four on the south pole is about twenty-six
0: thousand. So, so very- I mean, those are F- Not very restful places to spend 10 days.
1: I'll tell you. I mean, Camp 2 is pretty nice. There's actually uh, a dining tent there. You know, we keep a staff. Camp 3 is on this precipitous slope. Really scary. And then uh, Camp 4 is on the south call with 40-knot winds, freezing cold, tents ripped apart. It was it was, an, it was a bit of an ordeal. But the point oh, being, so they watched and watched and watched the weather window and saw this small opening for May 23rd, uh, 23rd, 24th. So we, for instance, I left it uh, kind of in the early way of 10 o'clock at night, started up from the south call. Some of our group, stronger group, faster group, younger group, um, which was everybody else just about, uh, started at about uh, midnight. And um, I got to the top at about eight o'clock in the morning. I was actually, I may not be, I may not have been our first one, but I was there ahead of the group just because it kind of worked out that way. And it was cold and windy, but the sun came out and then it turned out to be a pretty nice day. So we, that, um, Garrett and his guy, the group, we put nine climbers on top. Uh, we started with four women, all four women made it, which I think is interesting. We started with um, let's see, 14, I think 14 guys, and about half of those made it. Anyway, so nine nine climbers, four guides, and 20 sherpas. Hugely successful. Uh, Garrett is an example. Spent two hours on the summit just greeting people and stuff like that. I came down. It was pretty crowded. I think maybe 130 people uh, or something like that summited on the 23rd. There's a big traffic jam at the Hillary step. And, you know, I have these stories and all this sort of nonsense. Um, But the point being that many teams failed because of a number of things. They didn't figure out the weather. They got COVID um, among the team members. Uh, They had COVID, which is pretty widespread here, among the Sherpas, which just, you know, if you don't have Sherpas, you don't climb Mount Everest. Unless you're a professional. That's just the, It's just the bottom line. I had two fabulous Sherpas. We had nobody uh, get sick. So that was the 23rd. We came back down. Uh, and since then, the weather has been pretty atrocious. Now, they extended the season. So there's a chance that they might have a couple more summit days. In fact, we met uh, on our way out, walking, trekking trek, 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 out. We met Jillian um, Journay and David Goodler, mm-hmm. which was delightful. I mentioned your name, of course. Um, we had a wonderful conversation with them, and they're trying to do something pretty special. But so they've been up there for weeks training, trying to get ready to do things. So it's been a really tough year. And even though there were a record number of permits issued, I believe, that's my understanding, uh, compared to 2019, only maybe half as many people um, summited or will summit. So it's been a tough wow. year. Wow
0: well it, it that's all all the more um uh, impressive really for you and your team um to yeah. you, know, you know, snuck in there i mean I've been in pretty close contact with with David and Killian since they've been over there um, uh, it's, it's been interesting I, I mean we've posted a few of their uh videos of them climbing you know their acclimatization <clears throat> climbs and um I know they were hoping for a weather window around right now, and i don't know if, yes yeah. If that's happening. Right. That's a, that's
1: a yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we we trekked out and we trekked out, which I'm really glad I did, by the way, you know, for people who are mm-hmm. listening or ever want to come to Everest Base Camp. It's it's really special to come here <clears throat> in the end of March and then walk out at the end of May because the valley is so beautiful. And it's not that way at the end of March. You know, just putting the crops in, there's nobody around. But I want to come back and we'll talk about David and Killing really quickly, but I will say this. People have to understand that in Nepal, COVID is a huge issue here. They have record numbers. The country is basically shut down. The people are scared. I've been vaccinated and was vaccinated fully before I came. Many members from the US of our team were as well, so our risk is really low. But the shops are closed, the people, you know, on the trails are uh, masked, they are trying to keep their distance. you know we pass not close to each other uh they're just very protective because they all had somebody <clears throat> most of them have lost somebody you know a friend or a family it's just it's so sad, and they just have this desperate need here they have no money, of course they don't have any vaccines and um, and they're really struggling so that's sad, but the walk out of the valley was something really special so really glad i did that
0: yeah i have a similar <clears throat> experience with my trips to nepal that yeah the the post climb trek out was, it was just a gorgeous time to to be there I, yeah. I really, yeah most of the time i've been there have been in the post monsoon season so in the fall but yeah um, it's yeah it's a really special place and and to be there you know kind of after a successful climb, that's all the more rewarding. So I know what you're
1: saying. It's a really, I mean, it's just people who visit it a lot, you know, talk about how it's a magical place, spiritual home, that sort of thing. It's it's really special, but you can't see it early in the, you know, kind of late winter, early spring. Um, I do want to uh, chat for a minute, uh, not to beat the uphill athlete drum too loudly, Um, but I do want to, I I do want to express, first of all, how grateful I am and how fortunate I was to find you and Seth and to work with you. Yes. You know, we worked really, I think we worked really hard, but Seth had to kind of Mm -hmm. help me figure out how hard I could work before I broke broke down. You know, if you look, it's such an interesting process because if you look at the progress, it's not linear. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's, you know, two steps forward, one step back or three steps forward and four steps back. And then you have to recover because we all have different physical configurations and issues with our body. And um, we had a lot of issues we had to work through, you know, just because everybody's got unique things. I had things like a neuroma on one of my toes. I had a a sore wrist, um, a, 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 a balky knee. The knee, the, the knee, shoulder, knee issue. <laughs> but I have to. Touch. But but one of the things that was so interesting is as I went along in the program, before I used to kind of um, some of the stuff I was doing, I kind of beat myself up and I'd hurt new things. But as I mm. went along in the program, things started getting better. I had a you know some kind of a hip thing that just kind of went away. I can't remember, and because once they're gone, you never remember them. <laughs> but I have to tell you, the thing that's amazing to me is. I knew this was coming in. It was a long-term process, and the idea was: this is not a race. This is uh, just survival, preserving, keeping gas in the tank, having reserves, taking care of yourself, trying to eat well, trying to drink well, trying to you know all those things. And um, my knee—I actually had a cortisone shot in the knee that probably needs to be um, replaced at some point. No issues at all. That was number one. Mm. Number number two. I nice. had this, I'd forgotten, I, from my notes, I had a sore wrist. Never thought about it. Never came up. Unbelievable. Um, maybe it's mind over mad, or maybe I'm just, you know, stupid, don't remember. I don't know. And the third thing was this neuroma, which is kind of a pinched nerve on my toe. was really troublesome when I was doing certain kinds of things, but during the climb, going up and down, never an issue. Never an issue. Nice. And And one of the things I discovered I think is so interesting is – you know, you, you. And Nepal is very hilly. People probably know that there are a lot of, you know, there are mountains here. It goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And when we were walking out versus walking in, I noticed that um, my balance, you know, and my control as I stepped down these very slippery, very um, steep and precipitous steps that you know animals cross and people cross. Everything here, there's no roads. People know there's. It's all by a porter or by yak or by helicopter. Um, But they they kept getting stronger and stronger. My balance got better. My foot placement got better. You know, it wasn't like I felt like one of the guides, you know, how you guys like walk through the mountains and it's like no issues. But the thing was amazing. Once again, just like in the training, my body responded. You know, our bodies will respond to the right stimulus. If we stimulate the right way, we will react in a positive fashion which, of course, is the whole principle of the training that you teach. And and I'm stunned, and I've said this before, that even at my age, and I'm a normal guy, I'm an ordinary person, it's really important to understand that, that our bodies will still respond to this correct stimuli. That's what the training did. That's what the exposure did. And, you know, when you sit on a couch all day long and watch soap operas and, you know, eat bonbons, your, your balance doesn't improve. But if you're walking up and down steep places in a, in a manner which you can't afford to make a mistake, and there are a lot of places here you cannot afford to make a mistake. I don't care if you're trekking or climbing. It's a long way down, and there's rivers and rocks and stuff. Um, I just think that's we're, we're like walking miracles. We just don't realize it. Well, I think what's also quite miraculous is where you
2: were living and training, it wasn't exactly the, the mountains. You know, I think a lot of people can, yeah. pull these off by way. But we tell everyone where you
1: live. It's uh, Chicago. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. I live in Chicago, flat land. I think the, yeah. there is a ski area near me that's 192 feet of pure vertical called uh, <laughs> I? And uh, yeah, I tried to go so, there. I was gonna, I was gonna scan a little bit, but they wouldn't. I remember do that. that. I remember yeah. that. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's the old trash yeah. dump, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah you yeah. yeah, but it's, and we had some people, you know, Scott, I know that you and I'm not sure if Seth has been as involved, but have talked about these hypoxicotents. tents. We had three people um, who were uh, express climbers that used the hypoxic tent. Uh, one regular one of our regular climbers used a hypoxicotent, tent, uh, but did the trek in, and it's uh, not a reflection on them necessarily uh, none of them none of them made it. In other words, oh, you know, I think
0: statistic. that's yeah, interesting. The evidence, yeah.
1: the evidence. It may be useful for people. I think trying to do really rapidest tents, perhaps there's some evidence. Yeah. But um, you know, it's the, the, the trek in allows you, even for a flatlander like me, allows you to uh, your body to adapt. And I have to. You can't. You know, this is a podcast. People can't do. It. I don't know. Can you see my? Can you see my arm? Yes. Yeah, it's got some veins. I see
0: some big it looks veins like in there. This, I mean, I'm <laughs> telling you,
1: it's, it's, it's the darndest thing. I look like an experiment from William Harvey in the 19th century and <laughs> you know, the circulatory thing. Um, because what's happened is, you know, your your body kind of eats the muscle, typically, but the veins, and this is true for all of our people, uh, the veins are so prominent because the blood supply is, you know, has been Enhanced so much, it's just—it's amazing. And mm. when we were walking out, this is after climbing, of course. You know, we we use oxygen, but walking out on the trek, there are a lot of long uphills, and and we, as well as the guide who was with us, the ones who walked out, just walked up these things. Not—we didn't run up them, but we just walked up them continuously. And some of them were several hundred feet, and we're still at elevation. I, I just. I'm just stunned at, yeah. at how our bodies work. Well, it's and just that, that acclimatization take care,
0: effect is you know it. It's interesting the the kind of uh, the the juncture between acclimatization and fitness, and how they um, you know how how one can supplement the other. Or in, certainly, we have people who are you know very fit and then they they say, okay, well, I've only got three days, and I'm going to go climb, you know, some, I live in you know, Iowa, and I'm going to go climb you know, a yeah. mountain in Colorado, and I've got three days. Well, you're probably going to feel pretty terrible, and you're probably not going to perform well, but it has nothing to do with fitness. It's all about the, the fact that you just aren't acclimatized. In your case, having spent, you know, two plus months at, um, you know, over 17,000 feet, you're... Yes, you increased your blood volume significantly, so yeah. your, your blood can you know you have the capacity to carry a lot more oxygen now. So you and your hematocrit levels, I'm sure, are sky high. It'll be interesting if you when you go home, to <laughs> go in and get a, um, a hematocrit I was, to just see. Well, yeah, I was
1: thinking. Of- I was thinking about that, jumping on a plane and going to Boulder or something, you know, wherever those places are. The, well, you could get,
0: get that test in your, you know, just from your local doc. Just go in and have them draw a little Regular. blood and tell you what your hematocrit is. I mean, when I came back from K2, my hematocrit was 54. So for people... To <laughs> and
1: normally, what is it?
0: Normally, is my it? hematocrits like, you know, low to mid, low 40s. Um, yeah. And yeah. that's pretty typical for most people, unless you live at high altitude. But it's for people that don't understand the significance of that, hematocrit is the, the essentially the percentage of your blood that's ma- that's made up of red blood cells versus you know yeah. the, the 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 rest of the fluids that are in there, and it's illegal for, in most gov- sports governing bodies to race to compete when your hematocrit is over fifty. Mm. And uh whoa! So, yeah, and so but Yours no. is right up there, like mine was. Oh, and you, you oh, like, oh I better man. get
1: on the. I better get on the Twitter front right, like, right away. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the other thing I, I wanted to mention too. um Well, there's a number of things I wanted to mention too. Is that you know nobody succeeds at this at doing something like this uh, by themselves, and it's not just the support I got. I was, and I've talked to my team about this because I'm so grateful, but not just the support I got from uh, the two of you, and particularly from Seth, over a long period of time, day by day. We talked every single day for two years. Uh, mostly, me, mostly my wine, mm-hmm. but that's a different issue. <laughs> but, no, but it's interesting because it takes coaches, it takes doctors. You know, I had I had excellent help um, from a medical standpoint. It takes the support of family, it takes the support of friends, it takes the team members. We had a Fabulous team! I tried to post some things about the members of our team. I haven't finished yet. What a great group of climbers, interesting people, great guides, strong Sherpas, a support staff. Um, there's uh, just the folks that ran base camp for us and then ran the logistics. I mean, it's just this whole army. I feel like I feel like it's one of those things like the circus, you know, where you have the strong men on the bottom, you know, and then you build the triangle, you build the pyramid higher and higher and higher, and you get the little person at the very top. <laughs> you know. And that's what I feel like, to to do something like this. It's just, it's so uh, gratifying because the the web of connections is so strong and powerful. It's really special. It's really special. Uh, what were your Sherpa's names? Uh, oh, I had two of them. Hassan Bote, who was is a local, he's here from Kathmandu. He's been through the He's been to the Losey Face 70 times or something like that. Someone, you know, up and down, up and down. It's really unbelievable guy. I can talk about him in a second. I just, I want to, you know, he's like, I don't know, five foot two maybe, uh-huh. and powerful and strong and friendly and nice uh-huh. and gracious. So he was kind of my Sherpa that went with me as I climbed, you know, to kind of keep an eye on things, make sure things were done well. And then I had another one, Dawa Bote who's much younger, who I think is probably a relationship. I didn't actually have a chance to, who worked up high, the ones that were fixing the ropes and, you know, fixing the camps and stuff. And then we, we came together on summit day and all three of us climbed. And when I got to the summit, you know, you get above the Hillary step. I mean, let me just, I just have to share that three. So anyway, you start out from the South Hall. I started out at 10 o'clock at night and you start up the triangular face. You can't see anything. It's pitch black, of course. And all I can see is this string of lights. Now we've all climbed in the mountains, and people are listening to climbed the mountains. You see a string of lights, you see people above you. That wasn't like this. This was like looking up an elevator shaft <laughs> mm. to the top of a building are mm. all these lights. And I'm thinking, if I keep looking up there, I'm not going anywhere. So I'm looking down at my feet because I can't stand <laughs> that. And then That's you, you, good you, idea. You know, you, get, you know the wind is blowing. It's cold. You're. you're you're, you're somewhere between anxious and scared. You're nervous, you know, but you're working, but you're, I'm kind of trying to keep in that zone, that heart rate two zone that I know I can maintain for a long time that we've worked so hard on. It's just critical. And then finally you get to the balcony, the first stop where there's an oxygen bottle change. And it's like this like crowd of people, all lights and changing and all this confusion and, My oxygen mask didn't fit right, and I do all this kind of stuff. And then you're walking along, and then you see the the sunlight line where the sun is starting to come up in the east. Let me tell you, that is a special, special moment. First of all, you know you're not going to die, okay? That's number one. Number two, you know the sun is going to come up and be warm. Three, you're approaching the South Summit, which is, again, one of these things like, you know, you're thinking, I'm thinking to myself, holy smokes, I'm walking along, and I'm actually, I'm going to make it to the, God, I'm going to make it to the South Summit. That is so cool. <laughs> then you get up on the, over the South Summit, onto the Summit Ridge. By that time, the sun is, you know, pretty much up, and you see that iconic Summit Ridge, you know, where the people always get stuck, and you're heading toward the Hillary Step, and then you realize, God, I'm, like, I'm on the Summit Ridge of Mount Everest. Then you're climbing over these rocks, which were the Hillary Step, and then you've got this snow slope, and you walk up this thing, and I expected an area to be at the top to be, oh, I don't know, like two ping-pong table sizes, you know, kind of flat and horizontal. No. No, it's just a ramp up. There's kind of a memorial there, and then this, it looks like a kicker for a ski jump. The other side is 9,000 feet down into Tibet. So it was... It was remarkable, and what I kept thinking was exactly what the training was and what Seth and I have worked on and what you work on with all your athletes is stay in the zone, long-term deal. I had, I think, in started at 10 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock in the morning. I had one sip of water. I think I might have had one goo at some point because you're busy, you know, moving and climbing, and you got all this gear on and oxygen masks and, and – uh, so you have to train your body, as you very well know, to be able to sustain this by burning fat and not, and not sugar over a long period of time. But I was, I was, co- it was cold and windy when I got there. Cause it was a little bit early, so I actually have a my summit picture is sitting down on the very top ridge of Mount Everest because I because I was too tired to stand up. Actually, <laughs> that's just the, yeah. that's just the bottom line. I would have. I have friends that have these awesome summit photos, but, but I was there and, and uh, it was pretty powerful.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Well,
2: beautiful description.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How was getting down for you, Art? You know, that's a, you know, um, it's interesting um, in the sense that by that time it started to warm up and I actually think the temperature changed because a lot of our guys got there There was one woman who was very special. She may have set a peak-to-peak record from Everest to Lhotse, 11 hours, 59 minutes. Kristen Harla, just just a wonderful sweetheart of a team member. She got there earlier. I think I was probably next. But I think by the time most of the guys got there, because I saw them coming up about an hour later, it was quite a bit warmer. So I started down, and, you know, you can kind of feel the warmth. And oxygen, of course, makes a huge difference. We were still on oxygen coming down. But we ended up with a great big snafu at the Hillary Step where, um, there are two ropes, but there's not enough room to climb. And so the people who were coming up just kept jamming into the, ho- and basically into the slot. So we had about a 40 minute delay there mm-hmm. where somebody finally took charge. And in fact, Garrett Madison was on the ridge, the summit ridge below the Hillary Step, stopped all the traffic coming up. So the people crowding up. Could come up, then people coming down could actually come down, and then it could take some turns. So he did, he did a really fabulous job with that. Um, And then it was just, um, you know, I'm thinking about it. it, The the walk down to Camp Four from the summit was was okay. There weren't a lot of people at that point. We passed most of them, but the one that got me was when now you know because you've been so focused on the summit, you get up there. Now we're at Camp Four. Now we're going down from Camp Four. Down the Lotsey Face, which is very steep, across the, Lodze, across the Yellow Band, down to Camp Three, and then all the way to Camp Two. Um, you realize that the distances and the, and the elevations are enormous. You, mm-hmm. I didn't really. I didn't. I was so focused on just you know, kind of moving and, and getting up and taking care of myself and trying to get dressed. There's a lot of stuff going. A lot of confusion. But then, you, when you're coming down, you see how enormous the Lhotse face is because you're in this big circle with Everest on the one side, Lhotse, and then Mupey, and it's just this, the the vastness, the detail, the distance. It kind of it kind of hit me because you're looking down and you can see how far people are. It's 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 stunning that people have figured out how to climb these giant, huge. Spectacular mountains and come back alive. Now you know it's there is danger. We I think four people have died this year on Everest. Um, mm. So you have to be aware of it, and it's it's scary, but it's this kind of um, satisfaction, I guess, and fulfillment. But again, you're so focused on it. When I finally got down to camp four, I have to admit that I was really tired. I'm in the tent, trying to get some water, trying to get some food. Um, I also have to go to the bathroom, which is like, you know, 40 mile an hour wind and I want to get back out of the tent. But anyway, Gary comes, puts his head in, asks, you know, how I'm doing. And I have to tell you, I was thinking about my family and thinking about my friends and I started crying. <laughs> it was really, it was emotionally just overwhelming. Sure. So I it's, understand. it's, it's powerful
0: <laughs> stuff. I think anybody who has spent much time in the mountains can empathize with that exact same emotion.
2: Yeah. 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 I think that
0: it's, it's it's why we go there.
1: Yeah. It's so, it's so, um, and that's, you know, that's kind of what I take away from this. is not the fact that I'm some, you know, an older guy doing this thing. I take away from this is, that we can still do all of these amazing, wonderful things. Our bodies will let us do it if we want to put in the work. And we have these, it makes life so vivid and so powerful and so, you know, emotional. Um, I have this, you know, I, I, two years ago when I came to Everest and and, and failed because I, you know, uh, got hurt and wasn't and I wasn't ready. Just as Scott, as you had told me, I wasn't ready. Um, I still have a bond with. Those people, it's really close. This group, we are—we spent so much time in doing things in such a difficult, challenging way. We're, we're just so close to one another. We're all here, by the way. We're all here in the hotel, eating, drinking excess. to excess. I have to tell you, <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. like a fraternity party. We have like five meals a day, and ice cream, and beer, and it's all kinds of stuff. But you know, you build these things. It, it isn't just the memory of what you do as an individual. It's the bonding that you get. And the shared experiences, and it makes life just so much more—it's um, vibrant. You know, mm. colors are brighter, the greens are greener. You know, you just feel better about yourself and other people. It's—it's it's worth the effort. And I'm hoping that—I have to tell you—I'm hoping that what I can do is—is is change the message from, um, you know, a guy who's 75 old, American climbs. That—that's not the message. The message is that you know, if you take care of yourselves and if you put the effort into doing the things that your body says you should be doing, which is exercising in the right way, and I don't mean poo stuff where you jump on a treadmill. I mean, the stuff that, you know, that you coach, that Seth teaches, the um, lifting weights, you know, you will allow, one of the things that's so great about uphill athlete is you allowed me to vary the program if I want to do some barbell training. Okay, a little bit of that. And it worked out great, and it's It's really fun to be, at my age, to be able to lift up something heavy and then kind of like drop it on the floor, frankly. (laughs) I really I I actually like doing that. I don't know. Moving heavy things around just makes you feel good about yourself.
2: (laughs) So long as that bar was warm enough for you, huh?
1: No, that was the problem. You know, I guess when we get down to was it at twenty at twenty degrees? I had to call Uncle. I can't remember exactly, <laughs> yeah. but, I'm, but I'm looking. But I'm looking forward to going back in the in the summer with the with that you know hot barbell in the hot garage. <laughs> I don't that is, yeah yeah. yeah. I love that, and, that, that
0: that picture you sent us one day of you know the the thermometer in your garage. Your your dinner, oh, yeah. quote unquote. yeah yeah yeah. And yeah, well, it's good practice it's for uh, Everest.
1: No. But it's, <laughs> yeah, but it's like everything yeah. else. You, you kind of get used to it. I don't know. I can't wait to see what my wife, what Leslie, thinks about. You know, having put lived through all this sort of stuff, what she thinks about. Because I don't have at this point. I don't really have any plans. You know, to do next. I'm just kind of. This is so all-consuming and so kind of almost overwhelming. I I still need time to process it, which is another reason why the walkout was so lovely. You know, it may be times, and the others, not many people, a lot of people hellied out. But those who walked out, I think, really enjoyed the kind of decompression. And There is this certain kind of entry back into the real world that takes some time to adjust. Because, you know, you've been living in a tent for 63. The other day, I slept in a bed without a sleeping bag. It was the first time in like 60 days or something. (laughs) It It was really wild. I'm thinking like oh this is this is pretty comfy <laughs> I think we were at Nanche with an electric blanket or something I can't remember but um, it, it's been a it's been a great trip and you know like with other people especially the two of you I absolutely could never have done it without you and so I'm really grateful and it's it's, it's just been a wonderful experience I mean you know what what else can you say
2: yeah. well, I, well it was, go ahead Seth sorry Oh, okay, uh, I'll say my nice thing to Art now. And yeah, no, it was just so great to work with you, Art. I think um, more quickly, um, I felt like we fell into a really great uh, communication situation where um, you were, you kind of really knew what I was looking for. I think I made that pretty clear in terms of what the feedback I wanted. As a coach, to sort of keep that um, keep you on the edge, and to manage the other you know things in your life, all the factors that everyone has going on. But um, I just really feel like um, you know, if I were to say some outstanding bullet points about working with you as an athlete, you know, your communication was was excellent you know you were you were really <laughs> honest about how when you were really you were tired if you had any pains where they were what you thought might have caused it um you were really proactive about you know doing the recovery work i think it it was a both a very you could tell i could tell you saw the big picture of the training where you were you know you knew that this was a long term engagement um, that took a lot of time, um, and it wasn't very sexy. It wasn't all big, heavy deadlift, iron drops every day, you know. <laughs> yeah. And But also at the same time, I could tell, you know, you were really tuned into the moment. You say, okay, you know, with the pack carry today, I, I'm not going to wear the boots because my knee, yep. you know, I'm thinking yep. maybe the, you know, these sorts of little things. And I think, okay, so we, you know, we can stay on track with that. We can stay consistent, You're, you know. You're staying ahead. I'm not, you 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 kind of took the reins in some ways that made it, you know, a a lot of the consistency happen. And, you know, I like what you said about, you know, people being, you know, positive reactors to the stimuli. I think it's funny. I use that same coinage. And I think for, in this instance, you know, yeah, you're doing some deadlifting, which is great you know, and you're doing a lot of time on the stair machine. And so yep. I think a, a good big picture lesson is that, you know, the, the, the positive, um, the the reaction in the positive direction towards being, you know, endurance for high elevation, you know, so we had a very specific goal we were working towards and that was kind of front and center with everything. So you know, it, it wasn't just to get fitter in general, but there were some very specific things going on. I, I just looked before our call, and you did. You know, two months leading up before Everest, you left. You did, I think, forty or forty-two stair machine workouts, and you did. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> <sounds> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You probably wish you forgot that number, but and which is like at least forty hours. You know. I mean, it's probably much, much higher than that. I didn't look at the total hours, but it's like, and you did like nine muscular endurance workouts. And I mean, it was some serious work going on here. And it was um, quite impressive the way you managed that. And uh,
1: well, you know, it's, it's great, Seth, because one of the things I thought was interesting was, you know, people have, this was during COVID too. So, you know, in my case, I could do most of the things we needed to do. The stair machine was one thing I really couldn't replace. I had to go to the gym. The gym was limited. You know, we we tried to do some with two sessions a day or something, but I could only do it. Only had an hour and a half slot. So normally, um, and from before, like when I was first working with Scott, we could do some longer ones. But it it worked out great. And the other thing is um, I did try to be, you know, honest, although sometimes it's hard to describe kind of because you're not even really sure how you feel. But I also had a lot of fun. Sending some of the comments to you, so that that that, that, that <laughs> we did have a lot, we did actually have a lot of fun with that. We and did. I think, I think it's really important, you know, for people who are um, following this program or trying to do things on their own to understand that it's not just the physical part here. Mental, the mental stuff that is part of the training program that you and Scott and the other coaches at Upfield Athlete um, uh, promote is about mental toughness too. You know, in other words, preparing, making sure that you are in the right zone for a long period of time. And I haven't looked at it yet, but, you know, you may recall that I wore a heart rate monitor for several days coming in. And for some of the early climb, then it turned out to be um, draining my watch too much. And I couldn't, you know, I don't know. There are other kind of considerations since it was a secondary one. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, I could, it helped me by looking at my watch to see what my heart rate was. helped me make sure I was doing the things, you know, I was tr- trying to stay in that zone where I knew I could do something for long periods of time, for hours in a day, as opposed to, you know, for minutes or, or, or just uh, short periods of time. And I, I could see it in some of my other team members who didn't quite know where that, they were strong, okay, and they did really well, but they didn't know quite where that limit was, and they would be pushing themselves, and I could just tell they were working harder than they needed to. So it's a really important part of the training is, the mental part of it—not uh, just the mental toughness, but also the mental awareness of how your body's reacting. Um, yeah, I'm getting. am not there yet, and I'm not am not a—you know—a high-class, high-level athlete. But but I've learned a lot about that, and uh, and it's it's important because you can do things at one level for a long periods of time, and if you exceed that level, you know, you can basically toast yourself like almost right away. So I think that's. One of the really important things, and I know that that's behind a lot of the programming that you do, is is the mental aspect of it. So that you're teaching, you know, people how to use their bodies so they can sustain fat burning. You know, the the shorthand yeah. fat burn close to glycogen over a long periods of time, and that's that's what made it happen for me. I mean, right. I'm, still well, kind of, I'm still kind of shocked, but it works. I think another important aspect is that up there
2: you know your, your brain is suppressing your heart rate at elevation so even if you want to you know say go above zone 2 um you really can't you're not your heart's not going to do it um it, mm. there's it's recognizing the brain is recognizing there isn't enough oxygen up there to get any returns yeah. so That's it says Interesting yeah. yeah 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 and you know another element too about these the untold amount of hours that you were hiking on the stair machine or if you, in the couple of times you did get out, uh, out of town to go get into the mountains, you know, you, you're doing long, yeah. same thing, long, easy to easy intensity, long duration. You know, when you're moving that for that long in the you know, exact environment you're going to be going to, you learn to move well, you have increased your movement economy. And, again, this is the specific modality of training that is really beneficial. You know, we're not going to, you know, use just any old, you know, pace just because it feels good, but it's, like, quite specific. And so, you know, those fractional energy that you're saving, moving up, you know, the load safe face, et cetera, it all adds up so that you get up and down off Everest and, you you know, you're not all wobbly on your feet. You know, you can do it.
1: You know, it's so, you know, Seth, it's so interesting. I forgot about something I should mention because, you know, people ask like what's the toughest day and what's the hardest day and all this kind of stuff. And as you know, um, we do three rotations the first time up to, you know, camp one, then to camp two, and then back down to base camp through the ice ball again. Next time is from, um, base camp up to camp two, try and touch camp three and then come back down. We, couldn't do that because the weather was so bad and on our second rotation we had to stop at camp one and then go to camp two and then touch camp three and come down but here's the thing my hardest day was actually the third rotation on the summit climb moving from base camp through the ice ball past camp one up to camp two i got to i got through the ice ball which is you know plenty challenging let me tell you um got to where camp one was rested for a while and then i was just Feet into the ground and so that walk from camp one to camp two i had to do it a normally it's across a fairly flat glacier somewhat upward it's a slow walk people do pretty well i had to rest step that walk every single step i took something like i don't know i think it took me 13 hours or something like that i was just trashed and then somehow my body reacted and when i started from camp two, up to three, up to four, up to the climb, it was, I was good. I felt strong. I was confident. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I had to move at a a deliberate pace, but it was steady. So, you know, we have these good days and bad days and you have to recognize that when you're having a bad day, how to maximize, just like you said, you have to be as efficient as possible, do what you can do, not panic. You know, it's, our bodies are just I mean, it's just it, it's it's miraculous. I just can't get over it. But I was really lucky because I came into my strength. I think after I got to Camp Two, we were pinned down for a while. My appetite came back. I started drinking really well. The the crashing, flapping noise from the tent no longer kept me awake at night. Mm. I mean, it was you know, it was just a great experience. It kind of I was lucky it all came together at at the right time.
0: I'm going to just back up just a couple to emphasize a couple of things here that I've heard you say, Art, and that I think it's very important sure. for people to hear. One is that you know, I think we know this from experience of coaching hundreds of, of athletes in the past, but you were certainly the beneficiary of this and you and that this this arrangement between the coach and the athlete is it's a very intimate one. And it's also, it's a partnership. You're in this yep. together and yeah. communi- just like any good relationship or partnership, it, the the communications are, are critical. And, yep. you know, we we emphasize communications, you know, over and over and over again to the athletes we coach, because, you know, we're sitting here, you know, maybe 2,000 miles away from you. And we are, um, you know, trying to discern, you know, how did, how did art feel after such and such a workout? And of course we right. can, because we use training peaks, we can see your heart rate. We can see how far you went and, you know, how long and how much vertical. we can see all the hard data, which is a very important thing for us to see. But more importantly is, your perception of you know how it went you know um are your legs still heavy from what you did two days ago um you know was this a workout where you felt like superman and i think that that level of of communication which unfortunately we and seth i know has had this experience too i think all of our coaches it's hard to convince some people how important that communication is and without it we're, we're essentially we're flying blind. You know, we're we. It's very easy for us, you know, Seth or any of us, to actually write a training program for somebody, but the 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 real art of coaching, and I don't mean no no pun intended. There are but the right. art of coaching, right, right. the art of coaching art, is uh, that this this ability to adjust and change and and uh, monitor how things are going. And without this feed, this really good feedback, and I think that's, you know, you were obviously highly motivated and especially, I think, after your previous year where I think we both can agree you weren't, like you said, you weren't really ready.
1: I wasn't Um, ready, That's great. (laughs) And
0: and you had, you know, obviously had a great coach, but I think what really puts the, the kind of the icing on the cake of your coaching here was the fact that you guys developed a really tight communication bond.
1: Yeah. I You know, Scott, I, I have to tell you, I think it's true. And I decided, and mostly because you remember you and I, you would kind of, you know, started me out helping me understand how important communication was. Okay. So I kind of got the idea and I really tried hard with Seth because, you know, it's, we come from almost different worlds. Here he is you know, a young, outstanding, expert, rock climber, you know, athlete, you know, kind of stuff. And he's got to relate to this, this old guy, okay, hmm. <laughs> whose body doesn't work the same way. Um, and it's true, you know, I've got my issues, but your other um, clients and your other athletes have their issues. You know, they may be, then um, they're different. So I, I decided to try and be as, as as honest as I could be. And sometimes it's really hard because you know, you ask me a question, like, how do I feel? And I think to myself, you know, I don't know. I guess I feel okay. You know, <laughs> that, that doesn't help the coach at all. And, and the other thing is, so people have to understand that Seth and I talked virtually every single day. All right. I mean, there's been a couple of exceptions. I gave him a day off once in a while, you know. Yeah. But virtually every single day for two years. And we have never met in person. Okay. We've never met in person and and i and i feel like that is not an impediment to what we're what we're trying to do which is amazing when you really think about it how many times can you say that is you know the case in anything you do in a market well i can we- understand it's critically important and you know your athletes probably should err on the side of too much information as opposed to certainly as opposed to too little well <laughs>
0: That is, that's, we, we have folks who, you know, they, their comment after a workout is, went okay. Like, okay.
1: Yeah. What yeah.
0: And, but then yeah. we have other people that will write 500 words, which yeah. I would much rather read your 500 you know, well, words. I like,
1: there's probably too much. I'm, no, gonna, I'm just moving
0: not too much. I don't want to really. lose
1: my, I think my power here, but I'm just going to move inside quickly. It's no problem. Okay. So, okay. So we can chat if there's more.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, I think that's a, a really key component. This whole communication thing, and and we you know, we just see it over and over and over again that the, the people that you know really connect well with their coaches are the ones that communicate um, you know consistently. And 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 I think you know what you, one of the things you just said to me just now, to Art, was that having to think about how did I feel. Yeah. And, I mean, actually, yeah. and Then having to write it down. Like It's almost like yeah. a diary. You're having to, you know, bare your soul in this, your training log and say, okay, here's how today went and here's what I'm feeling like. And I yep. think that that's, you know, in a way that helps us be a little more introspective from compared to what you know, we often are because we're in such a hurry, rush up, rushed up world now and people don't have much time to consider how am I doing? How is this feeling? Am I tired? Right. Um, and I think that that's, a, that's one, another benefit of this when you're talking about the mental aspect of it is that's part of the mental game is you know, paying attention to how you feel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the thing about this is that I'm, I'm proof. I'm, I'm proof that your system works. That's what I think is so great. I'm not the only one, of course. You've had lots of success. Lots of athletes. But that's what I think is so great about. It. And that's why I'm so grateful for uphill athlete because it works. It's worked for me. If it works for me, it's going to work for everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we do have a pretty good track record, I have to say, in our behalf. <laughs> but, uh yeah, this this does work. It takes patience, It you know, and, and it takes dedication like you had. So, but it, yeah, if you're consistent and focused on this and you have kind of a long time horizon, then you can get it done for sure. Uh, it's not, yeah, this is what we we say over and over again, that we don't have magic. We're not, you know, we're not, there's no secret sauce here. We just, you know, we know how to get you ready for these things, but it's not like some giant secrets, not rocket science at all. Right. Um, pretty right. straightforward. But, and I will say one thing, um, that Seth, about, you were talking about, you know, Seth being half your age and and having to to kind of relate to, you know, what it's like to be that old. Well, Seth and I do a fair bit of stuff together. He's had a lot of practice now dealing with an old guy who can't keep up. And can't <laughs> Whatever. <go over laughs> he can and, and all that stuff. That's my, con- uh, that's so my contribution of, too, right? Yeah, I've been, well, I've beca- I think I, I've warmed Seth up for you so that. By the <laughs> oh, time that's so you, He's going, okay, I get it, what it's like to be an old guy now. <laughs> oh,
2: great, yeah. Great, no, it's, just, it's always a pleasure. Well well yeah it's, I would say just personally um I think I sustained a pretty serious injury um a number a few years ago now, and that event really brought me down in terms of my physical ability yeah, I think um the that taught me a lot about you know this really wrapping my head around different progressions of just people and how personalized progression is and how to truly modulate and give appropriate training stimuli. And I do think it's, you know, it's, I didn't just book learn it. I unfortunately had to learn it through experience, but um, you know, I think one thing, and this kind of relates to the comments uh, discussion that Scott was just having, which is, you know, I think you can kind of develop an empathy for yourself. Um, just like I develop, you you know, an empathy for you while we're working together. And, you know, it's, it's incredibly beneficial because, you know, you really, you know, you you, you really can't fake your fitness level. You know, you can't fake your deadlift. You can't fake your aerobic thresholds. So, I mean, you you really are where you are and the training to be effective has to be where you are and so you know being fully open to oh okay i got i got really sore from that or you know that workout was really easy was it supposed to be hard kind of things in the in the comments like that's um that like real honest and full value um you know commentary and and, and discussion level I think is, it, it's, it's great to have that. And um, yeah. it's part, of, the, part yeah. of my work that I really, really like. I really enjoy the, the pure honesty of the, um, yeah, working with folks. So.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think too, Seth, it's about, part of it is, it's really helpful to have a specific defined objective. You know, yeah. in this case, I knew, what it, I knew what it was that I wanted to do. You know, I don't know what the next step is going to be. And I've been thinking about, you know, coming back to you and talking about that because we're going to, let's assume we take something that is perhaps less demanding than trying to climb Mount Everest. One of the things I've given up, as you know, in the last two years, playing golf with my friends, playing paddle tennis, maybe I want to compromise, be able to do some of that. You know, So it's going to be fun to kind of figure out what the next objective is going to be, if there is going to be one. And then adapting the program because you know you have lots of different levels. You know, from um, mm-hmm. pretty challenging to incredibly difficult things that you're working with people doing. So it's it's fun because your system, you know, allows you to do that depending on what your your client needs. Just another you know great aspect of the up the athlete franchise yeah. and what you're trying to do.
2: Yeah. I, at the time I was working with you, I think I had twenty-three or twenty-four athletes, and I will say that you were doing—you were in the top three of volume <laughs> a week of my That's athletes.
0: I'm
2: <laughs> well, I think that this speaks your your fitness level and your, our ability to to really modulate the training. I, I think we. It's, we had to do resting i mean we we were doing like two rest days every 10 day period i think we had a very yeah. unique style of modulation yeah. that really fit yeah. yeah um you know and and it also like like we were talking about earlier you were really you know really communicative but um you're also just tough and fit man i
1: mean you got to own that so <laughs> Well, I can't yeah. wait. I I'm, I'm worried. I'm going to lose the, uh, I'm going to lose my phone here just cause I can't plug it in and talk cause I have lost my thing. So I don't want to do that, but, and didn't have it cut off. But so I, if it's okay, I, I just kind of want to wrap it up. And, and I will say, I will say this. Um, I don't know what the next step is going to be, but I have to tell you, I'm really looking forward to whatever it's going to be. It's been, this has been a great journey. Um, I, I, again, ordinary guy allowed to do something really extraordinary, right? That's, that's what I think. I mean, this is a lifelong dream. I started when I was 12. My dad gave me a copy of Herzog's Annapurna. Then I read 1963 uh, the Expedition Norman Deere book, Chris Bonington's book. I've been fired by this thing. I went to Everest on the north side as a trekker in 1990 got to the advanced base camp with jim whitaker saw the north Pole. said you know something i actually could climb that if i had to but never thought i'd get above that and here i am you know 25 years later or whatever it is after having walked up to the top of the highest point on earth and having walked back down i mean holy smokes how good is that right how good is that pretty good
0: Uh, yeah it doesn't get a lot better that's for sure but it sure does not yeah congratulations it's and not just for getting to the summit, really, but for for doing what it took to get to the summit. That's the impressive yeah. part, I think. Um, yeah. And, and I think you would agree. I mean, these these kind of
1: I, I agree, Scott. Big goals, right on that,
0: you know people like Steve has talked about this in some of our podcasts. I think I'm sure Seth would totally agree. that it's cool to have these goals, some you know some really hard climb or some big race <clears> or whatever it is you're training for. But once that's accomplished, it's like, okay, well, that was interesting, but it, it's not as satisfying. The accomplishment isn't the satisfying part. It's the yeah. fact that you could do what it took to, to accomplish that goal.
1: Right. It's like Peggy Lee, Is That All There Is? She had a famous song, Is That yeah. All There Is? And I thought well, it was so strange. I actually had been so focused on the process of getting ready that that became the event for me. <laughs> and I realized, oh mm-hmm. well, exactly. wait, I got to go climb the mountain now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i gotta do that too. Yeah. I better, I, well,
1: I better say I better say goodbye because I know I'm gonna lose you guys in okay. just a second.
0: And, we'll let you go, and, and good luck on getting out of there. I hope you, the airlines start flying soon, or the, or the government. I, I out. do
1: too, and it's. I'm, I'm grateful to you both. You know, it just wouldn't have been possible without you and many other people. So it's a pleasure to talk to you as always, and I'll probably circle back when I do get home, assuming that that's sometime in 2021.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Art. Thank you, Art.
1: It's okay, travel. guys, it's been, it's been great. Thanks so much. Okay, bye bye.
0: Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com.